My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Marilyn Keddy and Peter Puxley. Many grassroots campaigns, including environmental campaigns, focus the vast majority of their energies on people who live in major urban centers and do relatively little to engage with people who live in other places. But when a number of Nova Scotians were disturbed by what they heard at an open house organized by the Canada-Nova Scotia Offshore Petroleum Board in February 2016, they knew that the fight to protect the province's fisheries and communities from the dangers of offshore oil drilling would need to do things differently. Their immediate response to this open house was to organize their own public meeting, and from that gathering, the campaign to protect offshore Nova Scotia emerged. The group sees the risks of offshore drilling for oil and gas as outweighing any possible benefits. Even elements of the exploration process, like seismic testing, have significant impacts on marine wildlife, and the effects of a major oil spill could be utterly devastating for Nova Scotian fisheries and for the communities that depend on them. Then, of course, there's the mounting global climate crisis. Why, they ask, would Nova Scotia be encouraging investment in an industry that will contribute to a crisis that, via rising sea levels, is a threat to coastal areas around the world? The campaign's work to defend Nova Scotia's offshore is focused in the province's southwest coastal region. Today's guests describe organizing in a rural area as, quote, a big challenge, but so far, they've been quite successful. For instance, marches and rallies are common tools for building momentum for a campaign and getting it noticed, but they just aren't practical outside of the city. Instead, a key element of their work has been a visibility campaign, involving signs and bumper stickers carrying the slogan, Offshore Drilling, Not Worth the Risk. The idea is that they will spark conversations between neighbors that can then become opportunities to spread awareness about the issue. Hundreds of people in towns and villages throughout the southwest shore have taken them, with people connected to the fishing industry seeming to be particularly supportive. The campaign has also participated in many public events in the impacted communities, including organizing public meetings and panel discussions. As well, they've been working hard at connecting with town councillors and local governments. Through a mixture of correspondence, presentations, and meetings, they've built good working relationships with many of them. One of the campaign's key demands at the moment is a full public inquiry into the impacts of oil and gas exploration in offshore Nova Scotia, a necessity, they argue, due to, quote, the inadequacies of the current regulatory and impact assessment regime, end quote. Many municipal governments along the southwest shore have already expressed support for this demand, and the campaign expects more to do so in the coming months. The campaign has also been collaborating with other groups. This includes working with Mi'kmaq groups in some of the public events they've held in local communities, and it includes participating in a coalition called the Offshore Alliance, which is comprised of a range of environmental and fisheries organizations. 
As described in an episode of Talking Radical Radio back in February, that group's work has included a focus on how the revamping of federal environmental assessment legislation is set to increase the role in that process played by the Canada-Nova Scotia Offshore Petroleum Board, a body with a mandate not just to regulate but also to promote offshore oil and gas development, and which is primarily comprised of people with industry ties. Marilyn Keddy is a social worker and a longtime activist who lives in an active lobster fishing cove near Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. Peter Puxley is also a longtime activist who has worked as an economist and a journalist. I talk with them about the threat that offshore drilling poses to Nova Scotia communities and about what the campaign to protect offshore Nova Scotia is doing about it. I've been involved in social activism for my entire adult life, primarily starting with the women's movement. I'm a social worker by training, but I feel that my education has really come from my activism. I got involved in this particular campaign because I'm involved with the Social chapter of the Council of Canadians. And after the Canada-Nova Scotia Offshore Petroleum Board held what they were calling an open house, what we called their dog and pony show, in February 2016, it became really clear to us that they were promoting the oil and gas industry and not wanting to hear from the public and address their concerns. So following that, we organized a public meeting, and out of that, we connected with more people, and that's where Seaponds came from. Our goal has really been to engage the public and to educate the public about the risks associated with offshore drilling. For me, I have a very personal connection to the issue because I live in an active lobster fishing cove near Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. And of course, our entire way of life, the lifeblood of this community, revolves around lobster fishing. I can only imagine how this community would fundamentally change if there was an oil spill. For one thing, my neighbors' livelihoods would be gone, so everything that our community is based on and revolves around would be gone. I'm Peter Puxley. I, like Marilyn, have been involved in social and political activism most of my life. I'm an economist and a journalist by background, but I cut my eye teeth in the way that's relevant to the subject before us, in helping the Dene Nation in the Northwest Territories prepare its case against the building of a gas pipeline from the Canadian Arctic up the Mackenzie Valley to Alberta. It was the largest mega project in Canada's history to that point. We built a very effective opposition to that pipeline largely because of the federal government's commitment to public hearings under the aegis of Justice Thomas Berger. That inquiry, which resulted in a moratorium on development in the North pending settlement of outstanding Aboriginal claims, I think set a model for subsequent public inquiries, few of which have met that standard because of its political effectiveness, I suspect. It has not been repeated. I'm a Nova Scotian by background. I've been away from the province a lot of my life. I've always been involved in expanding or at least taking the promise of democracy seriously, attempting to expand it beyond the periodic electoral cycle 
And we are fighting here in a local campaign to protect our living environment, protect the local economy against a government that is very much responsive to corporate interests and hardly registers the needs of Atlantic Canada on its screen. I think most people who live on land because of general ignorance of the importance of the marine ecology to the air we breathe, to the climate that we take for granted, don't see the ocean and the seabed as being of the same immediate relevance as the land around them on shore. That we're trying to change. We're trying to get people to realize that the ocean is, for example, an enormous carbon sink and the acidification of the ocean is destroying that capacity of the ocean to absorb the surplus carbon that we are producing onshore. We are talking about the North Atlantic and where they have permits to do exploratory drilling is close to the Scotian Shelf, which is one of the richest fishing areas near the spawning and nursery areas that feed all our fisheries. They're drilling in waters that are twice as deep as those in the Gulf of Mexico, where Deepwater Horizon happened in 2010. Uh, And Deepwater Horizon was the name of the oil rig that, in 2010, had an uncontrollable blowout and explosion and soon sank, resulting in the largest oil spill ever in U.S. waters. Where tides and weather conditions are far more fierce than there, and where the currents are such that they would potentially take the oil all along our southwest coast and could be up as far as Halifax, depending on where they are into the Bay of Fundy, and certainly would have an impact on the coast of Maine. So we are talking about drilling under conditions where there is no global precedent for drilling. We've already had incidents. When Shell was out there in 2016, they dropped two kilometers of pipe, and it was 12 meters from their wellhead. Just luck that they weren't at oil and it didn't strike the wellhead. And they admitted that they had miscalculated the weather. Miscalculated the weather. Had they asked any fisherman, anyone who has been out on that water, they would have told them what they were up against, which underlines how lax our regulatory system is. It is captured by the oil and gas industry. They are the regulators and promoters. And if Bill C-69 passes as it is, it will give the Canada and Newfoundland and Labrador offshore petroleum board more power over environmental assessment. The regulations are ridiculously lax when under these conditions they should be rigorous and they should be also rigorously enforced. So that's just a bit of what we're up against and the kind of conditions that they're drilling in. They have no business being out there at all, not to mention all the implications as recently outlined in the IPCC report. Uh, And IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the main United Nations body that deals with the issue. It's madness that we're even going after more fossil fuels. We should be weaning ourselves away from that as quickly as we possibly can. We have traditionally here in Nova Scotia 
savored economic development policies that looked for great saviors, big corporations that would come in and solve our unemployment problems, rather than focus on the traditional industries like the fishery, forestry, tourism, which are highly dispersed throughout the province, have a high employment impact. Investment in those industries would have much more impact than the kind of investment the province is putting into trying to get a major multinational corporation to save the province's economy and to benefit from the royalties, which is very important to the government in Halifax. We are saying, look, the economic strategy and the environmental strategy dovetail here. We should be focusing on our sustainable traditional industries, protect them from the risk of offshore development, and emphasize investment in those industries, along with investment in renewable energy as the economic strategy for the future of this province. It makes a lot of sense to all but a government that wants disposable revenue in Halifax that might come from royalties. How did the campaign to protect offshore Nova Scotia get started? The real impetus for us was the presentation from the Petroleum Board and realizing that they were totally captured by the oil and gas industry, that every representative had some significant connection to that industry. And that really has been our focus from the beginning, looking at how that needs to change and the need for public involvement in that So we've written briefs, we've done critiques of information that they've put out. Also, recently, we've had a visibility campaign, which took the form of signs and bumper stickers saying offshore drilling not worth the risk. From the summer when the campaign started until now, we have 600 signs out all over the province. And we just this week had another request from the Maritime Fishermen's Union local in southwest Nova Scotia, supported by their municipal government for another hundred. So we're building, we're trying to increase public awareness and put pressure on politicians, which works very differently these days because of the extreme influence that the corporate sector has over our government and related institutions. Gone are the days when politicians feel that they need to listen to constituents and base their actions on how they're defining the issues. Their loyalty is to their party and to the industry. But we're building public support, we're doing public awareness things, we're forming coalitions with other people, we've worked to form an offshore alliance of 20 or some groups representing fishermen, representing community-based environmental groups, and together we have had a stronger voice around these issues as well. And now, as Peter has mentioned, we're moving toward a call for a public inquiry. Part of the strength of that campaign is working with municipalities, primarily along this coast from Chester through to Digby, to get them to come on board and support that ask. And so far, it's getting close to eight or ten who are already on board, either through writing strong letters to support us, passing a motion. I would say that the response 
from the federal government has been deafening by its silence, as well as from the provincial government. So we'll see if we can change that. If one looks at political activism across North America today, increasingly one is struck by the importance of levels of government that are closest to the community as being the most responsive. We've had, as Marilyn said, very disappointing results from talking to our local MPs, one of whom, our local MP here, happens to be the chair of the Commons Fisheries Committee, who still doesn't grasp the seriousness of the risk to the resource that she's primarily responsible for now. But it's been really interesting talking with municipal politicians who initially respond by saying, well, this isn't our jurisdiction. But when you start talking about the risk and they realize the importance of the marine environment to their local economy and to the provincial economy in general, they start to realize that they have a responsibility to defend the health of that economy and to defend the health of the livelihoods of their constituents. There's a lot of power still at the local level. We're hoping that with the alliance with the municipalities, we'll have more impact on higher levels of government. We're convinced that a public inquiry that was led by unimpeachable panelists would provide enough information to the public that we'd make much more sensible decisions when it comes to developments and the conditions that govern them in the offshore. So one feature of a lot of campaign work is that it often focuses, deliberately or not, on people who live in urban areas. But you've been talking about the importance for your work of connecting with people in rural parts of Nova Scotia. Talk more about how you're doing that difficult work. We connect with local governments by getting on the agenda at their council meetings and doing presentations, writing letters, that kind of thing. So we have developed quite, I would say, good relationships with a lot of municipal politicians along this shore. When you go to those municipal meetings, what's very interesting is in some cases, I'm thinking of the municipality of Yarmouth, every single person on that council either fished themselves for a living or has a family member but all of them had a connection. And maybe others don't have everyone with that connection, but pretty well. So it's a very real issue for them when you talk about the threat to the fisheries. And they also understand risks from the point of view of knowing being out on the water themselves. They know what that's like. It is a struggle to, in a broader sense, organize in a rural area In a city, you can have a march, people can come, spend half an hour at a rally, and in a few minutes, be back home. In a rural area, it's harder to do those kinds of things, and it's harder to reach into those communities. But the sign campaign is helpful in that way, because if we get signs up, it starts a discussion, and people see their neighbor has one, and they say, hmm, What's that all about? I want one of those signs. So that's another kind of effective way to do that. But it is a challenge. It's a big challenge organizing in a rural area. One part of that challenge is also matching the effort by the regulatory agency. 
this is its conflict of interest. I mean, the CNSOPB, the Canada Nova Scotia Offshore Petroleum Board's mission statement involves, and I quote, enabling safe and responsible development of Nova Scotia's offshore petroleum resources. Enabling. And it is the clash between enabling and regulating that is the conflict of interest that undermines the democratic credibility of the CNSOPB. Now, in enabling the oil and gas development, they see it as including going on the road to various communities, meeting with municipalities, and snowing them with one-sided information that supports their decisions to approve offshore activity. We have to counter that without the resources they have, without the access to the research that they have. We have to do our own research, dig it up, compare it to what they're telling the communities, and put it into a readable form and take that on the road ourselves. We often go to CNSOPB events in the smaller communities so that we can stand outside the doors and when the municipal councillors are coming and going, say, you know, depending on what they told you, here's another side. And we provide them with evidence we've dug up. And that has to do with the impact of dispersants, for example, where the research shows that dispersants have only one real value to the companies involved. It's cosmetic. It removes the oil slick from the surface, but it has a negative effect on the marine environment. We look at the assessment of risk, Dr. Beer. Uh, and he's an independent expert who has examined the publicly available information on the issue. He says that BP has underestimated the risk of a major spill by a factor of 10 to 100. That's an enormous underestimate of the risk. And it's on the basis of BP's estimate of risk that both the federal and provincial governments and the regulatory body have approved this development. The impact of seismic, for example, the latest science shows that seismic has effects that extend hundreds of kilometers away from the source. They affect the microorganisms in the ocean. They destroy plankton, which is the base of the food chain. They interfere with communication, navigation of mammals. They interfere with propagation of all species. And yet, the CNSOPB is still relying on a set of research from more than a decade ago to approve seismic activities in the offshore. They are ignoring the latest research. That can only be willful. The other thing that we have done fairly effectively, I would say, and with the support of the Council of Canadians, has been we've held public meetings in town along the shore. We've gone to places like Shelburne. We hold public meetings in Mahone Bay and Lunenburg. The tour that we did in March, sponsored by the National Office, we brought a speaker from California, Antonia Yuhas, who's done extensive research and was very involved around the Deepwater Horizon disaster and has written books and many, many articles. She came and was speaking along with other people from our group and Colin Sproul, who's a lobster fisherman from the Bay of Fundy, who's involved with the Bay of Fundy Offshore Fishermen's Association. So those events bring people out, give them access to information 
and an opportunity to discuss the issue further. We had another series of meetings in October where Maud Barlow came and again, along with some of our people, talked about building resistance to offshore drilling. We're also doing a screening this month of a documentary film called Sonic Sea, which deals with what Peter was just raising around the dangers associated with seismic testing. Our idea is that people will borrow that film from us and hold kitchen parties all over the province and show this film and have a discussion. So we've done and continue to do a lot of things like that to get the word out and to get people talking and engaged. And of course, we have a federal election coming up. Justin Trudeau made a lot of promises around the environment and dealing with climate change. The promises haven't been kept. So we're hoping to use that as another opportunity to educate and to encourage people to become involved in the electoral process and ask the kind of questions and hold the government's feet to the fire if that is possible these days. One group that we have strongly allied ourselves with and also I think is part of the modern resistance to these kinds of projects is the Indigenous community here in Nova Scotia, which has a strong interest in the fishery. It predates any of the European interest in the fishery, and they frequently participate in the panels that Marilyn mentioned as well. It's really important, I think, that we ally ourselves with their interest in protecting their traditional culture and economy. Together, we're much stronger than we are without them. What are the key demands that the group will be focusing on and the key actions you'll be taking to realize those demands in the coming months? In terms of where we go now, the key thing is to expand public awareness. It is to build on the opportunities for that in the federal election campaign, as Marilyn said. It is to call for the public inquiry. There is no good argument that counters those arguments we've presented for a public inquiry to expand the opportunity for the people of Nova Scotia to have a part in the decisions as to what takes place in the offshore and to protect their traditional economy. The last public inquiry on the offshore was the Georges Bank panel when the oil industry first interested itself in drilling in Canadian waters. That panel was a joint federal-provincial panel that concluded, and I read the conclusion, it's very brief, but it's so appropriate to what we're talking about. It quotes, in considering risks to Georges Bank, the unacceptability of potential harm is the most important factor. The arguments that point to the great value of Georgia's bank ecologically and as a fishery weighed against a lack of public need for and limited benefits from petroleum exploration and are persuasive. That's where we think a public inquiry would lead today. I think it's not a coincidence that there's resistance to that from the provincial and federal governments who are looking at a very short-term rather than the long-term interests of the communities here in Nova Scotia. You have been listening to my interview with Marilyn Keddy and Peter Puxley of the Campaign to Protect Offshore Nova Scotia. To learn more about their work, go to protectoffshorens.com. Dot wordpress.com.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.